what did EO say before EO? I, I felt alone. And I can't talk to my wife. I cannot complain to my employees. And suddenly you have this group. What if everyone felt that way, that truly feel heard and included? That's beautiful. Hello, hello. This is my EO Education podcast. Uh, my name is Chris, and my guest today is Sina Farzaneh. Hello, Sina. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. I'm a good 8.7 out of 10. Okay. Okay. If you we, if we were at the, in the forum, I would probably ask you like about how did you sleep, you know, how is your mm. family, uh, etc. But today in this podcast, we are going to, to speak about two things about education and about business because it's that's what about that's what my EO education podcast is about and it's about two things about inspiration and education we want to inspire other entrepreneurs to listen to these stories and to draw great lessons so thank you for uh, joining thank you for sharing your knowledge and let's start from the very scratch how was your journey as a founder uh i've seen you have really interesting story you 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 went from california all the way to shanghai and back so tell me this story sure <laughs> i guess i should start at in iran when i wasn't born yet but my parents i was inside the belly when they had to leave flee the revolution and they went to paris where i was born and Three months later, they ended up in Shanghai, in, sorry, in Palo Alto, California. So I was lucky enough to grow up in Palo Alto, California, uh, the home of tech and everything as it was going up. And, um, and when I got to university, I naturally picked uh, computer science to study. And as we're trying different courses in university, uh, I came across anthropology and I fell in love. So I ended up uh, studying cultural anthropology and philosophy. And when I came out of college, I was like, well, what do I do with this degree? There was corporate anthropology. So the big, big companies like Intel and Microsoft hired anthropologists to watch the consumers, to feedback information uh, to R&D, et cetera. And there was design thinking in Northern Europe. So those are the kind of areas where I could do. And I wasn't sure where to go. I wanted to spend some time outside. So Brazil, Turkey, China, something like that, something crazy to leave and create my own path. And I reached out to some older people who maybe have more experience. One of the guys was Guy Kawasaki. Guy Kawasaki was the early head uh, chief evangelist at Apple, and he did our commencement speech in my high school. So when he graduated, he did the, like, the speech. He didn't know me. But I wrote to him. I said, hey, I'd like to meet you, have some questions. And he said yes. So I went to his hockey rink in Redwood City. He bought me a BLT, and then he asked what we want to talk about. And I said, uh, well, I just kind of wanted to meet you and just kind of talk to you. And I saw him visibly get, get angry. Now I know that, you know, I was wasting his time. Um, but I kind of blurted out, like, I, I don't know, I want to go abroad, China, Brazil, Turkey. And he said, you would be an idiot if you don't go to China. And he said it like that. And I always remember that. So three months later, I quit my job and I moved to Shanghai. So I guess that's the first entrepreneurial part, right? Create your own path. 
Yeah, I went to Shanghai. No, no job, nobody. I didn't know anybody. I just uh, applied to this language school for three months, met a bunch of South Americans, partied a lot. Shanghai is great for partying. And, um, and then from there, I had to do something. And I tried to get a job, and no one would really hire me <laughs> as a marketing person. I wanted to do marketing. And finally, I decided to take a step back and think, what, what resonates with me? And I made a Venn diagram, three circles, and then one was anthropology, and one was marketing, and one was technology. And I thought, what is there in the middle? And after a few months, I ended up with hmm, word-of-mouth marketing. And word-of-mouth marketing was just getting started. So I created a business card that said something like, got buzz? And I wrote all the buzzwords there. I wrote uh, influencer, social media, gorilla, word-of-mouth, just everything I knew. And I said, and I had a, and it looked like a discount voucher for 30% off one month. Uh, salary as a joke. Well, the next week, the first word of mouth marketing agency in um, China, they hired me as their creative director. <laughs> and I had no experience. I couldn't even do PowerPoint. And the first project, the first meeting was like, do a workshop, you know, for a craft at the time. And I had to learn how to use PowerPoint. And I just was sketching with my finger on a tablet because I didn't know how to use the graphics. And they thought it was really creative, and that started my uh, career in advertising as like a creative director. A year later is when I started my first company. That company was called Advocacy. I had the opportunity uh, to work with someone who was very senior, who brought some projects uh, from Reckitt Benckiser. It's like a Unilever P&G. It's a consumer goods company. And they had a brief for us. Can you create word of mouth with 4,000 women in one city? in Nanjing, China, it's a tier two city. So big word of mouth that when we test for awareness, when we ask people on the street, have they heard about it? It'll be as high as television. Meaning in one city they did test television. In one city they gave out a prom like a free stuff. In one city they had promoter girls. So like at Costco, uh, people that give samples. And in one city was, uh, was us using real people to spread the word. Uh, long story short, uh, TV awareness was at 52%, and we achieved 46%, uh, which was very high because the cost compared to TV was very low. And the CEO of that company said, this is amazing. I want to know what the decay rate is. We're going to do the test again in six months just to see. Six months later, our awareness went up to 52%. 52% of the city, when they did their random sample, uh, heard about this this campaign, this message that we were uh, promoting. And that started the company. That started advocacy. And we became number one in um, in that industry, in word-of-mouth marketing, uh, and building brand advocates globally. So first in, you know, first winner in Asia, but then we, we won like, uh, I don't know, nine or ten awards in the next four years. And, um, and it was great. It was a really nice journey. Um, at a certain point, in 2015, 14, 15, that's when I joined EO. And at the same time, as I started to look within, understand, you know, what is my journey? Am I being as purposeful as I want? I realized that helping big companies sell more diapers or milk formula wasn't as you know, meaningful as I wanted. And I felt that we had cracked this very agile, simple way to keep people engaged. And in fact, it's kind of like um, 
like edugagement. It's like education and engagement because our concept was the more you learn, the more you earn. Um, and we thought that we could teach this to many other companies. So that started our, our kind of consulting practice after advocacy. And that leads to where we are today, where we just launched a SaaS platform, Pullpath, about a year and a half ago in the U.S. Had never, never done software, never done SaaS before. But with COVID, we had to leave Shanghai and got on the last flight before they blocked the, the borders. I had a pregnant wife. And I thought we'd be gone for like a month. And we'd come back <laughs> to have the baby. And we never went back. And I, I still paid rent for 15 months. Um, I still paid $20,000 in flight tickets trying to go back, but we just couldn't go back. And that's, we launched SAS. And it was, you know, there's two things that we could not go back. And I jumped into this new industry in the Silicon Valley. It's very sophisticated. Everyone is very sophisticated when it comes to selling software. And I was like newbie. Um, so we had to find our, our, our niche. And where we ended up is focusing on CEOs like EOers or, or even kind of YPOers on how do they keep their people engaged as they're going through the pandemic, as they're remote, as they're hybrid, what do they do? And we ended up kind of building a solution uh, just that to build out kind of like a council for the CEO, but it's not a council of five people. It's a council of the entire company to create um, two-way dialogue on a regular basis. So anyway, that's a long, long uh, journey to get to where we are today. You're probably, in, in personal level, the most influenced person by COVID I've ever met <laughs> so far because you, you actually yeah. couldn't go back home. You know, I mean, Yes, and you know what it was? It was like the day before the flight. China makes you do these tests. Each test costs $400. And me and my wife would go, we get our tests, And we had COVID like January, a couple of years ago. The COVID, the PCR test would come clean, but the antigen test showing the antibodies in our blood kept showing up, popping up. So mm. that's the day before everything is packed and they're like, you cannot go. So my wife, you know, she just has two kids, like a baby and like a two-year-old. Like it was, it was a lot to go through actually. Um, mm. But Last, Dr. Chris, I'll just say that I mean, some people that have family who died, so compared to that, we were fine, right? It was just a little bit of darkness. All right. All right. I, I'm really curious. I, I have to ask you about doing business in China. There are so many myths about this. And many of, of, of my colleagues that tried to do business They failed because of the cultural differences, because of the you know judic uh, juristical differences, because of the hardness. I mean, it is easy to to buy something from China. I mean, in large quantities, but to do business there is entirely another sphere. So mm. tell me how it was for you. Mm. Uh, you know, as soon as you start this topic, I I think of you know China as being a graveyard of just failed initiatives by foreign companies. They come, they make a big splash, and then they're gone. That was the pattern I saw over 15 years. <laughs> Some, not all companies, but, uh, but you see this so much, uh, that Western thinking. And it's not their fault, because when I was there in the beginning, the people at the top of the companies, the L'Oreal's and the, you know, whatever the company, they were foreigner, maybe Indian, maybe American. Um, but by the time I left, they were all Chinese. 
uh, at the top. So yes, it was very difficult. Um, there, you know, China is the biggest other culture, other culture for from an American standpoint. I think Americans understand um, Africans, and Europeans, and Australians, and e Middle Easterns, even the Japanese. Uh, to a certain extent, but the Chinese. I think Australians they understand quite well because they're <laughs> that's right. basically kind of too well younger brothers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Um, but the China is like is is an other. It's very different. Uh, they have a totally different framework and paradigm, and it's big. It's really big. So so it's very, so um, when I started there. No one would, the marketing directors who I'm selling to would not listen to me as a foreigner. Like, you're going to tell me about my consumers and how to spread word of mouth. You don't even speak Chinese. At the time, I didn't when I started. Um, and so what I ended up having to do is use this idea from anthropology that is called participatory observation, where you go in the tribe, you participate with them, and you observe. And from the inside... And so what we ended up doing is meeting face-to-face -face with our, you know, in the beginning it was moms, and then through software, just really involving them hardcore. Uh, and in that way, we were able to go when we went to pitch and tell the marketing director about their brand, about their consumer, about what their people want. And what I realized is that in China, maybe from a face perspective, from a, you, you cannot disregard what the consumers say. You know that is the that is the that is the voice. They're quite customer centric, um, so that is how I that was my hack to work in China. But if you don't have a hack, so 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 your hack was that you were coming to the meetings with these CEOs, actually prepared with the insights all about their brands that mm. probably some of them they knew, or some of them that they were surprised with. That's and right. therefore, they wanted to listen more. So you got their attention. Got their attention from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then I get to craft the narrative. So from there, I got their attention. I got to lead them to the strategy and to the plan and, and all that. So it was, it was quite helpful. And plus, you know, at that time in China, everything is new. That's the beauty. There was no word of mouth marketing. All, you're just kind of creating it. So if you're shitty, sorry, if you're bad at it, still... It's okay because you're the first one, right? It's like pioneer um, type of, of mentality. Um, business, uh, hap what is happening with this business now? Because you were mm. one, of, one of co owners. So That's right. Can you, I know, still run it? Did, yeah. Is it running by itself? How is so it set up now? So I had a co founder um, at the time. And and uh, right about the time that I joined EO is when we were going to get investment. We we're looking for investment. And we're going to, uh, we ended up going with WPP. It's a big ad advertising holding group. And, um, and after a year of negotiation, um, you know, he wanted to back out of it. And that was a kind of sticking point for me. And um, long story short, it was with EO that I, I had like an emergency forum. I just got in. I was like, what should I do? Should I stick it out? Should I? And they kind of forced me to look within, you know, as good coaches do. And I realized, I think that what we have, you know, is way bigger than advertising. And I understand that investment path. And I know I can do it another five or 10 years, but I 
my equity is vested. I want to spend time building something new, building something global, building something software that can scale like that. So uh, I, I sold some of my shares um, and retained the rest. And then I started the journey, uh, which is now Pullpath. Okay, so let's talk about Pullpath a little more. You mm. used the word that really ring the bell in my head, <laughs> and that's edugagement. I never yeah. heard this, <laughs> and I really love it. I mean, I, I've heard a lot at tech thing, right. and I was actually as I was preparing to our talk, I, I thought you're actually a psychologist because it, this is Pullpath. Mm. Seemed for me as a as a psychologist mm. uh, a, a thing that that would be built by someone who is very deeply into human minds. Mm. And as you reveal that you graduated anthropology, it is something mm. much broader, but it, actually right. it's about the same, but behavior. So tell me more mm. about this big idea. What is educagement? Mm. Yeah, I, so anthropology is like culture. And then I didn't study psych. I mean, I took classes, but I kind of fell into I, love with behavioral psychology evolutionary psychology why do we think the way that we do and um you know whereas our competitors back in the day in advocacy times they would pay people to go post on on the channels that's how they spread the word what we said is how do we build a journey that multiple multiple month journey that they would want to be a part of and what we figured out is it has to be meaningful there has to be a strong why you have to ladder up to that why, kind of got to be bite-sized. And it has to be something where they're learning, you know, like a habit through time. So we built all of these habit creation uh, journeys. And that was when I learned the idea of, oh, by educating people and by uh, them learning and going on a journey together, actually it's quite, it's quite engaging. Um, and so that's, that's where edu uh, engagement came from. It's this idea of how do you keep people engaged? Now, the trick is one of our values actually is called FUBU, for us, by us, like the brand and the clothing brand in the US. And what that means is most of the content, maybe like 60% of a, of, a, of a pull path, oftentimes comes from that tribe. So for example, in uh, like Carrie Santos, uh, EO CEO, in her last update, it was she asked for people's like baby pictures, and she asked for people's uh, her employees uh, their their updates, their video updates. And then the next update, the one that's happening this week or next week, that content will be the bulk of her of her update. That's just an example of FUBU for us by us. So it's not always uh, education in terms of like uh, me from the top teaching you. It's asking each other for tips and tricks like. How do we create more cross-functional collaboration? Or you know, how do we bust through silos? Collecting the tips, reflecting it back as content, and then having them kind of uh, respond to it. So it's engaging, they're learning, they're learning from her, they're learning from each other. Uh, yeah, education. Mm. It's very interesting what you said about creating habits and about, about this micro-learning, or it has many names, nano-learning. Uh, about this micro-engagement that builds big habits. Mm. I think many of us as EO members are very much into it. I, I, I know so many people who I know started taking cold showers, starting this mm. intermittent fasting. And it's not the thing you can just say, okay, I'm doing this right. from tomorrow. You actually need to go with small steps 
and then it becomes a habit mm. and and uh, i understand that 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 your software has one more advantage that mm. it can co-create so so every employee and i and i also studied your kno right the, yeah. the, the company Partner. and it's about, mm. about um engagement of people and and the videos they were posted about this business were a lot about you know a person that is so far from the ceo but still has a voice right and it is very difficult to achieve and i would like you to elaborate on this mm. so that company no um where i have a small stake it's a partner of ours they focus on factory workers how do you engage well the question is how do you make the supply chain transparent because if it's not transparent if it's opaque a lot of bad stuff can happen right and this company no is telling big brands that in order to not have a pr crisis maybe you should have a more transparent supply chain and the way to do that to create transparency uh, from their perspective is to create engagement inside the factory because if you create engagement regular ongoing engagement with all the factory workers you have a direct frontline view to what is going on and then you have the added benefit that people feel more heard and connected and and uh, satisfaction loyalty retention goes up the way that they do it is they start by creating a pull path for the managers of that factory they ask them you know what are the goals for the year they explain what the project is about um, and what are some things that you want the factory workers really to know this year so that you can achieve your goals And then with that, we start a weekly cycle uh, where a pull path is sent uh, on a weekly basis where the factory workers are learning, you know, they start with hearing what the management wants them to say, but then they're sharing their voice, including what are issues that need to be changed. Oh, the canteen has this issue. That area has this issue. And these all get then pulled and shared back with the management And the management then gets to, through a pull path, uh, reflect and almost almost choose which ones that we're going to focus on. And that way, the next, it's TikTok back and forth. The next one, back to the factory workers, we're like, hey, guys, all right, we're going to focus on the canteen now. Let's go a little bit deeper. What are the areas, right? So they kind of use this approach. And it's, it's mixing that type of uh, two-way dialogue between the workers and the management, along with things that help their own growth or their professional development. So a question would be something like, um, you know, for new factory worker coming to our factory, what are some tips that make them help them get ahead? All of those tips that we get, uh, 10, 20, 50, 1,000, they can then be curated either as an onboarding path just for those or just in general to everybody. Here's tips. Here's what uh, Siddhartha says about getting ahead. You know, you know, work hard and, and be helpful, stuff like that. And then I should also add one interesting thing is in some places there's no mobile phones. People don't have phones like in India. So what they started doing is creating a, a room, a no room that has a computer there. And as people come in to do and finish their, their missions, finish their uh, their um their path basically, which is usually only like a three minute, five minute experience. They will sometimes submit photos or sometimes their responses and these photos or the responses will be printed out 
and shown in the room. So the room becomes this like, this like uh, you're honoring the culture and everyone's voices. It's a very physical manifestation. And this only happened as an innovation in India because they didn't have cell phones. Um, I mm. thought that's quite, it's quite lovely. I, I saw that, that also EO is part of this journey with Poolpath that we can use it. Can you tell us more as EO members how we are either benefiting or we could benefit from mm. using this, this tool? Mm. So, you know, I, I will say that when I came uh, from China, uh, actually, no, my first time when what I was doing intersected with EO was when I was chapter president in Shanghai. And I just had a baby. I didn't want to get pulled into the hours and hours of just dealing with stuff. So I just, as president, as just like as a CEO, as you mentioned. So I ended up, you know, keeping the board meetings short, uh, like an hour, and instead using the poll path as a monthly update. And it was gamified, so your points go to your forum. Um, and the leading forum got this big check at the at the end of it. It was worth like, I think they got $100. So it wasn't about the money. <laughs> But they were on stage, um, the top one, two, and three. And that way, I was able to get enough frontline information, like how was the event, all the way to what type of events do you want. We were able to co-create the, con the calendar, the learning content calendar. We were able to... I was able to see what areas are working and what isn't, you know, as opposed to before it was the board members telling me, this is what I've done and they just want to like to share. So it was quite a, a flip and it selfishly helped me. It selfishly helped me in very little time, not needing so much uh, meeting time, but I, I have a sense. And then I could surgically work with the board members who I, who I needed to. So that was my first intersection with, with EO. When I, when I moved to, when I mis by mistake, accidentally moved to uh, Palo Alto, I hooked up with EO Silicon Valley and started to do the same thing there in EO San Francisco and then EO Los Angeles and Utah and some others, YPO chapters, and doing that same idea um, because it's pretty straightforward. It's just monthly update, your points go to your form. And then that started to spread to just different applications. So the presidents uh, this past year, Instead of just doing the president's training, there was two rounds of a pull path experience before they even went to GLC. And then this year, the innovation I'm going to push for, I don't know if I'll get it, is to continue the journey. Because I'm really interested in being this extension cord for engagement. It's wonderfully engaging when we're there in person with the facilitator, our fellow CEO, uh, presidents. And then what? kind of drop off this year there's just a whatsapp group there's a whatsapp group and and then there's president's meetings once or twice a year so at least on a monthly basis if not bi-weekly if not weekly i would love to have a you know here's some challenges that presidents are having what do you think making those transparent so you're learning and growing together and at the same time asking for certain um, performance metrics how do they feel do they feel supported how are they performing so we can track through time their journey. So that's the what I'm going to try to do with the presidents. And then, you know, my favorite one is Carrie with her staff. You know, it's very exciting. It started with the board, the global board, building the EO 4.0 uh, strategy. So in between the board meetings, using poll path to get a real sense of like, where are people aligned, the board members, not aligned. 
Um, and that dovetailed into now the staff, the global staff um, uh, kind of, you know, Carrie will share her weekly updates. Uh, she is usually like a four or five paragraph thing. She said maybe there's a few comments she would receive every month. I love it. You know, I think you keep doing it. But now when she sends her pull paths, she gets on average like 2,000, 2,500 responses uh, from her 100 plus staff that are around the world. Um, so they feel heard. She really values it. She reads everything. And then together we decide what should, how do we continue that journey? So, uh, so long way to say um, we're still discovering how, <laughs> how we can best help EORs. In the longer term, I would say, as I look ahead, I'm really in love with this idea of councils, of having your employee council, your customer council, your partner council, not 10, but 100 or 1,000, you know, as big as you, as you want it, because those, pe those people become your champions, or at least your champions have a voice and have something to do in, the, uh, in those councils. And uh, if I look ahead five or 10 years, you know, I would like to have 100,000 customers creating councils that help them lead better, manage better, and and keep that connection even if people are remote, that would be that would be kind of cool. And most of the EORs that I know are really big on culture, are really big on values, are interactive leaders, like they want to share and they want to hear, but at a certain size, like 80 developers, once you start getting a certain size, you don't have time to do that with everybody, or if you have multiple locations. So I wanna to try to solve for that that challenge, yeah. I see that challenge myself. I, I mm. see that once we we grew into a certain level, it's much more difficult to keep a coherent, very positive environment. And we are mostly a remote company that mm. creates even more barriers for people to talk about the problems and issues they have. Mm. Um, and on that note, uh, Dr. Chris, you know, there's one thing you mentioned before, which is worth saying again. A two-minute discussion with you or your COO is gold, is mm. really gold. Whether they're junior, whether they just got mm. started, whether they're senior, you know, you guys, you can do it maybe twice a year, but every time it's gold. So, you know, we're looking for ways to create that. How do you do that scalably, time efficiently, uh, asynchronously, right? I asked you before we we this podcast about that. AI, you're using it because I was 100% sure that this pull path, as I saw the pictures on the website, that this big machine learning thing behind mm. it. And, you know, me as <laughs> doctor of uh, management in technology, I was sure that there is a big AI team, but uh, you mm. said there is a human intelligence behind mm. it. And I was so surprised. So tell me, <laughs> how do you create such a program using human intelligence only? Because it's a big effort to do okay. this. So. <laughs> it sounds so smart, right? HI. Um, I mean, we had, you know, AI is amazing. And in past 20, 30 years, you've seen like the mm. hype of, of AI. Every yeah, company yeah. is using AI. So right? sorry to interrupt you, but actually like five years ago, I've heard so many tech people saying that we will all drive autonomous cars that right. will be served by robots that, you know, there is no more. And, and, and Oxford University scientists created this famous list of the, 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 the occupations that will be get rid of, including yeah. lawyers, right. psychologists that will be, you know, AI reading our minds, accountants, obviously, 
Like, mm, <laughs> maybe hey dressers only will not be replaced, re replaced, right? right? <laughs> but well, but yeah. actually, this list, I I didn't believe it from scratch. Mm. But now what we see, you know, of course, technical wise, we can easily create AI that drives a car better than a human. Mm. But if there is a situation on the road, and you either need to to kill a cat or to you know damage your car heavily and mm. yourself, then what should AI do? Right. That's right. And I'm I'm using very soft example in this. Yeah. I mean there are ethical questions that cannot be answered by mm. Tesla engineers. You need to answer this question yourself. What is your That's priority? Right. That's right. Uh, so you're pointing at maybe so first of all, I think they were all correct. They were right, but they were like decades off. So <laughs> so I think in 30 or 40 years some of those things uh, might come to place. And what you're saying is interesting. In the future AI, AI 2.0, 3.0, we might need to have our own permission or logic set of mm -hmm. defining what is my ethical value. And that's great. Those are great questions mm -hmm. to have to then decide how, how it should work. So I think that'd be Do really cool. Do you like cool. cats? <laughs> I love yeah, right? <laughs> Who do you love more? Yeah. Cats or dogs? Mm. <laughs> Just in case we are in this situation. That's right. Yeah, so... so, so so coming back to HI, right, to human intelligence. At the same time as I was building Pullpath, it was the rise of AI. People were really big. One of the big applications was chatbots. Chatbots. It's in, it's you know it's chat. It's in a window. It feels like it's a human, but it's not a human. And you know, successful companies, everyone you know has a chatbot, I guess. But what I realized is you know two things. One is you know it's it's not that easy to program. You have to program all these different branches of like, what if they say that? And then you have to write, you know, it's big, very complicated branches. So for the everyday person, for the layman, I didn't see them creating chatbots. Like, I still don't see people create chatbots. The second problem is that it's just not engaging. Like, it's okay for customer service type of uh, uh, responses. Like, I can help you. I can help you faster than talking to a human. That's awesome. That's great. Um, or maybe for some sales situations uh, on, on website, I think that could be cool too. Just give me the information I want. But it's not engaging. So what is engaging is human and human dialogue. So one of the tricks that we use is a pull path is always hosted by a person. You know, it's, it's Dr. Chris, it's Cena, it's Carrie, it's Dan, it's Mike, whoever it is. It's like, hey, welcome to our December update, right? Or welcome to the company. Let me tell you a little, a little bit about in this first week of your, of your company. So just that part of it, that human part, makes a difference. Now, the, a chatbot could also you could show a photo of somebody. But there's something stilted when you kind of have to, you know, you make it look like it's uh, free-flowing, but then, but then it's not. So something feels off, feels robotic, right? With human intelligence, what we're saying is, just like a author writes a book in advance and then you go on the journey with them, this same back and forth like a chat experience, it could be authored. It could be written by a human that has a point. And in that sense, uh, it's human intelligence. Now, a lot of it is templated uh, that gets then filled in, kind of like MailChimp has its uh, email templates that you then fill in with your information. Um, but it's not you know, AI concocted. Uh, we do have some applications of AI that we are building out. A lot of it has to do with things like the response options. 
you know, every bit, every screen of content and toolpath has response options. You have to do something, pick something to continue to the next screen. Those things are, we've found are hard for people to do because people think surveys, they don't think conversation. Like how would someone respond to it? Uh, so that's where we're using a little bit of, um, of uh, machine learning to build those response options more automatically. Um, and then also when it comes to serving who should see what, so when the responses come in, how do we then take that individual response and send it to the right person in the company? Uh, analytics reporting, that's also where we're looking to apply AI. But we've been bootstrapped till now. We're only starting to, to fundraise um, in 2023. So it's, um, we're, we, we are HI. And probably will, that's probably going to be the core of what we do, very human anthropology focus, probably. Yeah. What I really like you said about surveys and pull path not doing this too much is that people hate surveys. Mm. I mean, whenever I get, I, I work at two universities and, you know, every university academician gets like gazillion of surveys for scientific reasons, for, you know, helpiness, measuring re reasons. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I just teach one class a year at this at each of these universities. I, mm. I don't love my I'm, okay. I cannot say it loud, but I'm not in love with my university. I just teach there. I love my right. students. I love the, the environment, but mm. I mean, I don't care so much about feeling like gazillion of surveys, and and that's that's a problem. But right. if it is engaging, and I actually get something from it. Not only that I'm, you know, building stats for mm. the chief happiness officer, whoever, but mm. I'm actually engaging with the content mm. screen by screen, as you said. Okay, are you right. happy? Yes. Oh, yeah, you're happy. Why are you happy? Mm. So that makes it much more interesting and interactive. And, mm. and I think that the, 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 the software, the, the it's not only the software, the approach, mm. the, the values you have in the <clears throat> are are much more human-based <laughs> right. that's right i do think of it as a system so there's software component and then there's methodology and and thinking um, an example is we've got a customer that wants to transform the pet healthcare industry and they're going to do the general practitioners the urgent care prescription food the whole the whole chain in a single consumer focused brand it's a very cool company but they haven't built the app yet or the clinics and so we're building out a uh, instead of just doing surveys, which is what they would normally do, just surveys, hey, what do you think about the value proposition? Instead, the framing of this is the Pet Heroes Council. So we are recruiting a group of people who want to really care about uh, their, the healthcare and want to create the best healthcare, co-create the best pet healthcare in the world. And, you know, the framing is different. Now, it's no longer about, like you were saying with your university survey, like question, question, question. Are you happy? How is it? Like, like, which is one way. Give me information. Give me, give me. So chief happiness officer has their dashboard. It's not that. The Pet Hero Council or any of these uh, you know, applications, it's, hey, guys, here's what, here's what we're trying to do. So you're saying something and then they're reflecting on it. Or you're saying, here's what we heard from you last time. You know, what do you think? So it's a two-way thing. Give and take. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give and take. I, I love this approach. And I, I, we, we could speak about this for hours, but I mm -hmm. need to ask you some more question in this podcast. Yes. And one of your unique um, experience is that you know American system a little bit 
and uh, Shanghai one. Mm. And I'm really curious if you were to compare the systems, mm. the, the approach of teachers and students, mm. what are the main differences and mm. what are the common things? Mm. Okay, that's, uh, I'll start with differences. That's easier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, differences is, you know, in China, traditionally, you, it's a paternalistic culture. So you kind of look up as the teacher, at the teacher as, you know. Teacher is a master, right? Master, mm -hmm. master. And, um, you know, in my wife's generation, the, the kids, if you put your hand up, they call on you and you're wrong, you get belittled, you get made fun of. And the good student gets, you know, promoted by the teacher, this favoritism. And so the culture in education learns not to put your hand up, not to risk it. Some people do, and they can get through and, and to the top of that system. But for most people, um, you know, it's not definitely not fun. You know, there's a lot of homework. So even starting at third grade, I know a lot of in EO, uh, people who left before the pandemic because of education. Because you have homework, if you're in the local schools, uh, Chinese schools, when you're in third grade, you have homework till like 8 p.m. School finishes homework till 8 p.m. every day. And if you want to be in the, we'll call it international system, you're paying 30, 40, 50,000 bucks a year from, you know, kindergarten. So you have a couple of kids, that's a million dollars. That's just in education. <laughs> that's like buying <laughs> that's that's like buying Ivy League University. That's right. That's like for K twelve. Right. For mm. K twelve. So you know, I was lucky that I grew up in Palo Alto. Mm. And then Palo Alto is a very good public school system. It's all free. And what we learned in the USA uh, US uh, system is more critical thinking, how to raise your hand how more kind of play, more creativity. So what I found by us EOers in China, in this land where everyone is Chinese, you know, except for us, um, is that we have a way of problem solving that it wasn't so innate. You know, when I first started, people, maybe everywhere is like this, but the new jobbers, people that first, you know, they're out of college, they're like, come with the problem. They always come with the problem without solutions. So I really had to train hard on like, Think of a couple solutions and then come to us with the solutions. And it was very hard for them to do because um, what if they're wrong? They don't want to be wrong. Where here, we're okay to be, we're okay to be wrong, right? You try something, doesn't mm -hmm. work, you learn from it. That's Does the it also Is it also connected then with the business? So like in, in America, there is no problem if you go to VC and you failed uh, two <laughs> companies already. Mm. Is it there in China that... Let's say you 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 bankrupted two companies, and then there is no way you get uh, you get funding. So you've got a couple concepts. One is the concept of uh, of face face. It's like uh, what do you call that? Honor, maybe. Uh -huh. um, so okay. you don't want to look face. Mm -hmm. keeping mm -hmm. face right. You don't want to look bad. So the way that you describe it might not be like in the American would be like I failed. Twice, but I learned from it. Chinese usually wouldn't say that. Usually would maybe focus on the fact that they grew to 800 employees mm. and the fact that okay. it got imploded because they would some... skip the the failing part. They would say about just a good thing not to lose the face. All right, that, that not everybody, mm -hmm. but that vulnerability mm -hmm. part is not so natural. Uh, and the other one is guanxi, 
which means relationships. If you have great guanxi, just like here, if you're connected to the you know the VCs, it's easier. Right. So right. that's those two together. Yeah. Mm. So based on your experience, also probably more with connecting two very different worlds, can you imagine a perfect educational system? Mm. Like I always ask this question to my to my guests. Like you, you are let, let's imagine you were Joe Biden. 10 times more powerful president let's say and, you. and you and you want to really deeply change educational system mm. in us or even someone else somewhere else what would be the immediate changes that you would introduce or try mm. to introduce mm. well um probably a couple things the first one would be about um you know learn by doing so today in the education system, a lot of it is you sit in the classroom, you learn, 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 learn. Maybe you have ex lab experiments or whatever, but it's mostly them teaching you. Learn by doing is more like internships. So I would love it if the system of education was based on a little bit more like when we were in, uh, in villages, right, in tribes, where you get apprenticed with the medicine man or you get apprenticed with the fisher woman, whoever you know, in that sense, but do that in a very smart way and have your education system based on that. So I always think about this later, especially college, like maybe doing that, maybe having four or eight internships in that four year period, college period is more powerful, is more practical uh, than, um, than the traditional college experience. But what if we started at kindergarten, right? with that type of service, doing, working, really prepare people. So that's one thing I would maybe change. Um, the second thing is I would probably introduce, uh, in, integrate this idea of forum. Forum has been so powerful and we don't need a facilitator. It's all kind of peer to peer. There's other uh, Vistage um, or some others that do use a facilitator and I think both have their merits, but how much we learn from each other by learning how to share and listen and hold the mirror up to reflect off of each other. That shouldn't just be CEOs, right? At every age range, in every occupation. Peer-to-peer -peer learning. Mm -hmm. Peer-to-peer right. learning in more of a structured way because what I think, sorry to, to interrupt mm. you, but mm. but I, I, I really remember what made me to join EO. And that was the president of EO Poland that our chapter was just starting three years ago. And mm -hmm. he said, the, 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 he told me about the idea of the forum. I thought, very nice. I'm, uh, uh, I have master's in, in anthrop uh, anthropology, andragogy, sorry. So it's education for adults. Okay. I have bachelor's in psychology. I have a PhD in uh, management. Uh, I, I will not be surprised by your magic tools right i'm coming to the very first forum <laughs> and these tools are amazing i mean this is mm. so simple there is really like 30 or more years of experience of eo in it and i think mm. these are great tools that make people to be very effective in a very tight uh, time constraint and i'm still after more than two years i'm still enchanted i mean still amazed and i'm in a for local forum in poland and i'm in european forum european bridge mm. chapter 
And this is amazing. I mean, uh, you really inspired me by saying that every person should be part, like, could be part of right. some forum mm. of of very effective. Oh, I, I think we cannot introduce naturally this this level of openness, but we could do a lot of this mastermind mindset that is used not only in EO. I mean, this is in right. YPO. This is many business environments. We we do have in EO Poland. Um, masterminds for cfos cmos uh, etc so mm. other like masterminds that people can exchange knowledge and super effective people mm. give very good ratings for it so yeah this it could be very inspirational to create forums uh, wow <laughs> imagine if we kind of put that lens on 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 society and suddenly people because what did ceo say before eo i i felt alone and i can't talk to my wife i cannot complain to my employees and suddenly you have this group what if everyone felt that way that truly feel heard and included that's beautiful right and especially think, nowadays especially yeah. nowadays i saw the um, uh, statistics on how people spend time and it seems that um, younger people older people all the same tend to spend more and more time alone this is a little bit said i understand there is a big impact of covid and, and by technology. alone they may mean playing games with peers as well so mm. the question what is alone but it is a little bit disturbing uh, for me as a teacher let me that, build on that mm. sorry sorry to mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so the the build that i was going to make is you know we're talking about covid now but I remember an article in The Atlantic where they showed these graphs of when the iPhone was introduced and they focused on uh, 10 to 20 uh, kids, uh, 10 to 20 years old, so like teenagers. And they, and they tracked other things like uh, uh, use of drugs, partying, um, socializing, dating, sex, like those, these type of things that you shouldn't sex do. Sex is, is, is decreased. <laughs> dro it dropped. It didn't decrease. It dropped. <laughs> right. And what does that mean? It means that everyone is alone, but through this thing, they feel social. But yeah, it is disturbing because it's not social. I mean, sorry. It is social, but it's lacking something that we of the pre-digital age remember maybe more vividly. So... Form gives us that. Yeah, but form is so sorry to, mm. to, to go with this subject, but it's very interesting that probably what we're missing, because you know, there are classrooms, there, there are still mm. lots of interaction between young people and, and university students, etc. But forum kind of re-engineered, redesigned, or mastermind, redesigned the way how people interact within the small group. Right. Hmm. Okay, let's let's uh, okay let's let's go further. So okay, that's very interesting uh, thing <laughs> to to inter to to implement or encourage idea of forum uh, across educational system. Okay, <laughs> anything else that comes to your mind? Yeah, no, just those uh, those two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that internships, so peer to peer, mm -hmm. and peer to peer. That's mm -hmm. right. Right. Uh, okay. Uh, three more questions I have. Mm. Uh, First, uh, I always ask about your favorite business book. Is there mm. a, a, the one or two books that you can recommend to fellow EO members? So I already mentioned this by mistake earlier in this podcast. And it's uh, 
give and take. So it's a book by Adam Grant, who says, basically says that some people are givers. They give energy things. Some people are takers. And some people are matchers, depending on the situation. And he studied businesses globally. And he found that on average in the pyramid of, uh, not just businesses, but like uh, just success in life, most people at the bottom tend to be givers because they're giving more than they care about ascending the ladder of success. And most people at the top tend to be takers and the people in the middle uh, matchers. And then he found out that the people at the top of the top are also givers. So the book is about what's the difference between these givers and then the givers on the bottom. And he calls the givers on the top otherish givers. They're about other people, but they're still selfish. They're still self-oriented. So one great example that I use uh, that I borrowed from the book is called the five-minute rule. If anybody asks me for something that only takes me five minutes to do, of course I'll do it. You want to talk for five minutes, you need help, you need intro, of course I'll do it. More than that, I'm very selfish with my time because I could be hanging with my kids, I could be working on my business, I could be doing my own stuff. So that's an example. And I, I really like that book a lot. Oh, I'm going to read it, definitely. Um, how about a person, an actual uh, entrepreneur? You already also already mentioned about Guy uh, Kiyosaki that was your business inspiration at the very early age. And this is amazing to, to hear this story about you being so young and be brave <laughs> to step up to this guy and say, I want to meet you. And yeah. him, it, it's a very good uh, sign of his being generous about his time. He, mm. he said yes. Um, That's right. Are there any other people that inspired you uh, to do big changes in your life? Mm. I mean, the one guy that comes to mind, and it's very cliche because I'm sure everyone would say this answer, <laughs> is, uh, is Richard Branson. The reason that I think of him is because I love how integrated his work in life was. There was no office. And this is back in the day, like... But he didn't do it that way. He's always at home, always with family. If there was business meetings, they come to him. He takes the family. I love that integration because I feel that work is so big and life is so big. How do you balance these two? So instead, the answer for me is integration. So I think he's a master at that. And he was able to take this kind of core DNA and culture and build an empire. So I love the fact that he has these different, you know, let's see how we can take the top, even if it's cola or airline or whatever it is. And, but with that same DNA and culture, I really... Across different respect. industries, what That's is right. even more challenging. Mm. That's right. Right. That is, that is also my business inspiration. I, 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 as people are listening to us, I think there is still an opportunity to, to, to join him in the Neca Island. I think there are 30 spots and there is still possibility to sign in. Huh. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> Are you going? Have you gone? I signed for it. Uh, I'm still waiting for a feedback if I can qualify. Okay. <laughs> what do you need to qualify? Uh, they, they, there is a questionnaire. They ask like, about your motivation, what do you want to, to do there, and okay. like, like what do you want to achieve? Because now I think Richard Branson is a lot about like inspiring different initiatives, about mm. peer-to-peer, you know, inspiration about like people coming together and do 
great things. Mm. Uh, and the last question I have to use about mm. the future. I, I, I really like to ask not about you know the, the vision, but about actual achievements, actual goals you have for uh, in three years, so 2025 mm. and 2030, which is quite a long way ago, but mm. it's, it's good to have this perspective. What are your plans for three and years, uh, eight years from now? Uh, in business or in life, in business? Um, I mean, right now I have very much a pull path lens. So it's a little bit like Neo in the Matrix when he sees zeros and ones everywhere. I see the opportunity for pull path everywhere, like too much, right? <laughs> I'm like, that should be a pull path. Um, so in, in uh, three years, by 2025, we'd like to be at, have 1,000 customers. Um, and by 2030, uh, 10,000. I mean, if we reach that, then I wouldn't be surprised if we hit the 100K, right? And we kind of follow what MailChimp did before us. But we have, you know, it's a lot of work to get to, to get to the thousand. Yeah, our our BHAG overall is having a billion voices heard, um, and that, and I mean that both on the like the factory workers being heard, but also the people at the top being heard, because when they send stuff out, it's not like everyone's like, oh, that's the CEO. I'm reading it like word for word. Everyone's busy, so helping people really feel heard, feel more connected, that'd be cool. Oh, I love this BHAG actually <laughs> it's it's much more interesting i've been to recently to eo ebc meeting in israel mm. and there was a guy um who was doing a mm, kind of recognition and and trying to uh, to to gather the data of bad things that happen over internet so his bhag was to gather the biggest database of malicious and bad things uh, that okay. happen in internet <laughs> so I like yours much more. <laughs> okay, yeah, mine's softer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was it was a reason, but it just sounded funny and and yeah, it's it's it's. I, I like I like your vision. Thank you for sharing mm. your thoughts, uh, mm. Sina. Thank you a lot for your time and for your you're, you're my big inspiration. Actually, it's really, thank really you, Doctor Chris. <laughs> Love it. Awesome.